This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Learning Gospel Truths. In the first half, Earl C. Tingey shares his address, The Simple Truths from Heaven, The Lord's Pattern. Then in the second half, Bridget C. Madrian speaks on Harry Potter and the Five Gospel Truths. I desire to teach you the simple truths of a pattern the Lord established before the foundation of the world and about which we begin to learn when we read of Adam and Eve being placed in the Garden of Eden. It is a pattern you should desire to participate in. The outstanding feature of this pattern and plan is that you may experience eternal joy. Remember Nephi's statement, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. To participate in this pattern will be the most important decision you will ever make. When our loving Heavenly Father, through His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, created and organized this earth, He established a pattern with respect to the organization of the family that continues today. So now, reading from the Book of Moses in The Pearl of Great Price, Let's review ten simple truths from heaven and discuss how these truths are a pattern for you today. First, And I, the Lord God, took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. As you know, God created the heavens and the earth and all forms of life and gave His children dominion over those forms of life. God created the beautiful Garden of Eden and put man in the garden to dress it and to keep it. We may not live in the Garden of Eden as Adam initially did, but we are given the opportunity to dress and take care of that portion of the earth where we live. We are to have joy. Thus, my first simple truth from heaven is that God has created this earth for our habitation and use. We are to work. We are to better our circumstances and those about us. We have a responsibility to be busy and fully engaged in living a purposeful life and in carrying out the responsibilities given to us by our Heavenly Father. The eternal plan of salvation which the Father authored and Jesus Christ carried out and became chief advocate of provided that we would have the opportunity to come to this earth to acquire a physical body and to prove our willingness to keep God's commandments. Well, here we are. We do live on a beautiful earth. We have every opportunity humanity has ever had. What will we now do with these privileges? Second, let us now look at the second simple truth from heaven. Once again, I read from the book of Moses. And I, the Lord God, said unto mine only begotten that it was not good that the man should be alone. Wherefore, I will make an helpmeet for him. Here we see that one of the simple truths from heaven is that it is not good that man or woman should be alone. He or she is to have a helpmeet. Few, if any, simple truths from heaven are more important to us than the knowledge that we are to have a helpmeet for us, a wife for a man or a husband for a woman. 
Perhaps we should define helpmate. You must not misunderstand what the Lord meant when Adam was told he was to have a helpmate. A helpmate is a companion suited to or equal to us. We walk side by side with a helpmate, not one before or behind the other. A helpmate results in an absolute equal partnership between a husband and a wife. Eve was to be equal to Adam as a husband and wife are to be equal to each other. Adam was still in the Garden of Eden when the Lord declared that he was to have a helpmate. He had not yet partaken of the fruit of the tree that would result in expulsion from the Garden of Eden and eventual physical death. Accordingly, Adam received his helpmate for eternity. This was not a casual relationship. This was a covenant relationship. As you contemplate your helpmate, plan for eternity. Plan to enter a holy temple. Be worthy to enter the temple. The temple is where you and your helpmate can form a family that will be eternal. I urge all of you to fix in your mind the need to seek out and find a companion as prescribed by the Lord. To do so, you must seek out opportunities to associate with members of the opposite sex who share your gospel values. For that purpose, we encourage you to not only be active in the Church but to participate in all the opportunities the Church provides for personal development and association. Our institutes are marvelous facilities where you may gather and meet one another and exercise leadership qualities and talents so that you might see those about you who may complement you as a helpmate. I know that many of you desire marriage but lack opportunity. Our hearts ache for so many of you faithful young single adults in that situation. Do all that you can to qualify for the Lord's help in this respect. Be patient. Trust in the Lord. The blessings will eventually come. Remember, it is a simple truth from heaven that you are not to be alone in your eternal journey. You are to seek out a righteous companion and move forward in great faith so that you can, in His time, fulfill the eternal destiny that our Heavenly Father has planned for you. Third, later in the same chapter of Moses, the Lord forms Eve. The Lord then says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is my third simple truth from heaven, that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I think we could also say that a woman shall leave her father and mother and cleave unto her husband. To cleave together as husband and wife results in most cases in a physical departure from the security and dependence you have on your parents. However, as you make this change, this new relationship, to adhere firmly, closely, and unwaveringly to a husband or wife will not diminish the eternal love and respect you have for your parents. There is no substitute for this simple truth from heaven. 
The revelations speak of a relationship between a man and a woman. Understanding this simple truth will eliminate all confusion with respect to issues sometimes inappropriately called alternative lifestyles. Such alternative lifestyle issues are the workings of Satan. Please realize the importance of this simple truth from heaven. A man and a woman are to cleave to one another. In other words, they are to cling faithfully to one another, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. I know of no greater decision that any of you will make than selecting a companion, a woman for a man or a man for a woman, to become one flesh in the eyes of the Lord through temple sealing. It is the pattern of the Lord that man and woman should be married and cleave unto one another. Any other pattern is not of the Lord. Fourth, a wonderful principle has been provided by our loving Heavenly Father that I will refer to as the fourth simple truth from heaven. This is the principle of agency. We read further in the book of Moses. Nevertheless, thou mayest choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee. Each of us has agency. The Lord will not force us into making any decision that violate our personal agency. However, we must be willing to accept the responsibility that comes from exercising the agency given to us. Remember, Satan attempted to force all to follow him. That pattern was rejected by Heavenly Father. Satan then rebelled and sought to destroy the agency of man. Through the plan of our Heavenly Father, however, we have agency. One exercise of that agency is to seek and select a companion. Now, we know that generally in our society the man should initiate opportunities that lead to social interaction. I would counsel all young men, yes, all men within the sound of my voice, that you do have the responsibility to initiate these opportunities. Do not delay this matter. There is a difference between a lost opportunity and a wasted opportunity. Do not waste time. Do not procrastinate the opportunities you have to seek and select a companion. There has been much spoken by modern-day prophets that would encourage you to seek out a companion. This counsel especially applies to return missionaries and those who are moving forward with their education and are mature enough to accept the responsibility of adulthood, which include the responsibility of marriage. Even as I give you this counsel, I am keenly aware that some of you may have experienced disappointment in past relationships. What seemed to be right did not work out. You have to start all over again. This might be characterized as a false start. Most young single adults have this experience. The reasons are many. Different goals, unbalanced relationship, too immature and not ready for marriage and it just didn't feel right. Do not be discouraged. You are working towards decisions that have an eternal consequence. Be mindful, be prayerful, 
but be resolute in your desire to exercise your agency to find and select the right helpmate. Let me discuss for a moment a very delicate subject that often affects agency. It is a subject your parents and leaders may have strong feelings about but may not know how to discuss it with you. It is a subject of personal appearance. Exercise of agency is sometimes influenced by personal appearance, both your own and another's. On occasion, it is difficult to become acquainted with someone's real self because of first impressions. Remember, your body is the temple of your spirit. Be sure it is clean, tidy, neat, fit, and pure so that your spirit can shine through and be seen by all. Fifth, as Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, the Lord gave them this instruction, which is my fifth simple truth from heaven. I quote again from the book of Moses. By the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread until thou shalt return unto the ground, for thou shalt surely die. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou wast, and until dust shalt thou return. We are to work while we inhabit this earth. We should prepare ourselves to be self-reliant. We should be willing and able to care for a family. Fortunately, many of you have the opportunity to acquire an education in universities and colleges. Others of you have the wonderful and unique opportunity to acquire skills and training that will equip you to secure a good job and provide economically for your family. I speak in the latter reference of the Perpetual Education Fund. I serve as a member of the board of this fund and know the great blessing it is to those of you who are earnestly striving to better yourselves and to prepare yourselves to marry a companion and rear a righteous family in the Church. To all of you, I say, be willing to work and to work hard to provide for your family while you live upon this earth. President Hinckley has repeatedly encouraged you to get all the education you can to enable you to care for your family and serve in the Church. Six. In my mind, the sixth simple truth from heaven and the most important following the truth to cleave unto one another as husband and wife is the truth in the following scripture, once again from the book of Moses. And Adam knew his wife, and she bare unto him sons and daughters, and they began to multiply and to replenish the earth. This simple truth from heaven identifies the duty to bear children. Now, this simple truth lies before you, but not before marriage. Please, lock firmly in your heart and mind your desire to be a parent in due time. Acquire now the attributes necessary to be a loving father or mother to the children who will eventually grace your home. Seek to acquire the patience and skill you need to teach and rear children in the knowledge of the Lord. The brethren of the Church are being bolder in counseling young married couples to move forward and have a family. The world would suggest that it might not be proper to have a family until all temporal arrangements are in order. The world says, delay until you have completed your education. 
Delay until you have acquired a suitable home, furnishings, and conveniences. Delay until you have secure employment that is economically sound. Delay until you have acquired the toys and playthings of entertainment and convenience. All of this delaying is of the world and is the influence of Satan attempting to destroy the family. Prophets teach that after considering means and circumstances, including personal health and other factors of which each couple is personally aware, we should not delay having a family. Have the faith to step forward into this phase of your life, knowing that your Heavenly Father will support and sustain you with the unique and special challenges that come with being a parent. It is not necessary to delay having a family until you have acquired all of the conveniences your parents had when you left their home. Remember, it took your parents many years, even decades, to acquire the lovely home and furnishings that they have. And you must be willing to have the faith to start where you are and build and grow and develop while you have a family. As husband and wife, look forward to working together and sacrificing to accomplish this purpose. Be careful that you do not delay having a family so that you can economically acquire the toys or entertainment that in the long run do not bless you eternally. If you were to speak to most older married couples in your ward or branch and among your friends, you would find that in almost every case they started their married life and began their family with very few physical possessions, especially as compared to what they now have. Sister Tingi and I were married, and our first child was born while I was in law school. Our first apartment, a basement apartment, was a huge step-down from our prior experience of living in our parents' homes. The ceiling of each doorway included heating pipes, and the height of the heating pipes was the middle of my forehead. I cannot remember how many times I hit my head going from room to room. Sister Tingi remembers the hideous wallpaper, as she called it, displaying large red roosters. We had no laundry facilities and used a commercial laundromat for 18 months. Our second apartment while I was serving in the military was a duplex that shared one bathroom located between the two apartments. The bathroom had two doors, one to each apartment. You may well surmise what my wife thought of that arrangement. We slept on a fold-up bed that was easy to move around but extremely uncomfortable. Our first kitchen table was a card table with folding legs. On many occasions during the year we used that table, I inadvertently knocked one of the legs and the entire table and contents came crashing to the floor. For several years, when we had four children under the age of nine, we lived in an apartment with only two bedrooms. Were we crowded? Absolutely. Yet today some of the sweetest memories of our family come from that period. As you can see, we had few of life's necessities and no luxuries in our first living arrangements. Looking back on it, we realized it didn't matter. We were in love. We wanted to start a family. 
and we simply trusted in the Lord and had faith that all would work out. Today, 48 years later, we have a lovely home with all and probably more of the necessities and conveniences that we need. But when we started out, we had so little. We are happier today because our love has grown through the sometimes difficult life circumstances we have shared and not because we have acquired more worldly possessions. You must have that same faith and be willing to move forward into that life. Be prepared to start where you are and grow and develop your family with love and appreciation for your blessings. Seventh, the next simple truth from heaven is the pattern established by Adam and Eve to not only have children but to have posterity. We read, And from that time forth the sons and daughters of Adam began to divide two and two in the land, and to till the land into ten flocks, and they also begat sons and daughters. We are attempting to develop a multi-generational Church. To have posterity, to be not only a parent but also a grandparent and a great-grandparent, is one of the enriching blessings that comes to faithful members of the Church. As the General Authorities watch the Church grow and develop in many countries of the world, one of the most satisfying experiences we have is seeing faithful, multi-generational families living where the Church has only been for a few decades. Already we see children, grandchildren, grandparents, and so forth. A wonderful and very descriptive scripture appears in Psalms. Let me read. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Are you willing to exercise your mind and visualize where you will be or where you want to be in, say, 20 or 25 years? If you are now 20, what will be your life when you are 40 or 45 years of age? In almost every instance when I have asked that question of young single adults, they have described family as their first priority. Physical possessions and toys are not a frequent focus. Being surrounded with a loving family, your children and grandchildren, is what most of you describe as where you want to be. So start today to make that personal vision a self-fulfilling prophecy that will come true. Eighth, as Adam began his life outside the Garden of Eden, he began to offer sacrifices. We read as follows. And after many days an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, saying, Why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? Adam said unto him, I know not, save the Lord commanded me. And then the angel spake, saying, This thing is the similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. Wherefore, thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. This simple truth from heaven is that as you establish your life as a married couple with the family, remember who you are in relation to your Heavenly Father. Remember that He is your God 
and your father, and you are his son or daughter. Offer sacrifices of your time and talents to him. Be faithful in the Church. Serve your fellow man. Seek to establish righteousness. Acknowledge your many blessings by offering and returning to him a tithe of your increase, so that through humility you acknowledge and recognize the dependence you have on your Heavenly Father. Ninth. This simple truth from heaven is recognition of the blessings that come as a result of your sacrifice. The scriptures state, And in that day the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam, which beareth record of the Father and the Son, saying, I am the only begotten of the Father from the beginning, henceforth and forever, that as thou hast fallen, thou mayest be redeemed, and all mankind, even as many as will. And in that day Adam blessed God and was filled, and began to prophesy concerning all the families of the earth, saying, Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgression my eyes are opened, and in this life I shall have joy, and again in the flesh I shall see God. And Eve his wife heard all these things, and was glad saying, Were it not for our transgression, we never should have had seed and never should have known good and evil. And the joy of our redemption and the eternal life which God giveth unto all the obedient. And Adam and Eve blessed the name of God, and they made all things known unto their sons and daughters. Did you note some of the blessings that Adam and Eve received through their sacrifice? They enjoyed the companionship of the Holy Ghost, who bore record of the Father and the Son, and guided and directed them in all their decisions. They were blessed to enjoy the spirit of prophecy concerning their family, so that they would be guided in the decisions they made and how they cared for their children. Their eyes were opened so they could see and distinguish between good and evil and could make proper choices for their family. The scriptures state that Adam and Eve would have joy and rejoice in the blessings that came to their family, and they were promised that all of these blessings and things would be made known to their sons and daughters. Do you believe these promises can be yours as a result of your willingness to accept the responsibilities of marriage and family? I bear witness that they will be and that you can have the same blessings for your circumstances that Adam and Eve had for their family. Tenth, the last simple truth I will share with you tonight relates to the blessings that result from sacred ordinances. We read in the concluding verses of the fifth chapter in Moses as follows, And thus the gospel began to be preached from the beginning being declared by holy angels sent forth from the presence of God and by His own voice and by the gift of the Holy Ghost. And thus all things were confirmed unto Adam by unholy ordinance, and the gospel preached, and a decree sent forth that it should be in the world until the end thereof. And thus it was. Amen. This scripture, which is my tenth simple truth from heaven, promises that all things will be yours if you follow the pattern of which we are speaking. This means, of course, that all of the blessings of the restored Church are yours.
Specifically, when it refers to an holy ordinance, it makes reference to temples and to beautiful temple ceremonies and ordinances that are provided therein. What a wonderful blessing to anticipate that you may be able to enjoy the full blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, including all temple blessings, when you are willing to participate in the beautiful and simple truths from heaven I have shared with you this evening. I know that my counsel to you tonight is very weighty. For some, it would appear impossible to obtain. But please have faith and join that faith with works. The Lord is aware of you as individuals and of your particular circumstances. He will bless you. He will assist you in bringing to pass that which is right and which you righteously desire. Please have faith. In conclusion, I believe many of you may be saying, I believe all that you say and desire to have and follow these patterns in my life. But how will I know if my decisions are right? I would like to answer. You will know in the same manner by which the leaders of the Church today receive promptings that lead to the making of many important decisions. You will know by the Spirit. You are entitled to peace and to a spiritual witness that will confirm your feelings that it is right. May God bless you, my beloved young members, you future fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers. We love you. The Lord loves you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to follow the eternal pattern He has established. I bear witness that the patterns of these simple truths from heaven are true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Learning Gospel Truths. We've just heard from Earl C. Tingey. After the break, we'll return with Bridget C. Madrian for Harry Potter and the Five Gospel Truths. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Learning Gospel Truths. Next is Bridget C. Madrian, Dean of the Marriott School of Business at the time of this address, titled Harry Potter and the Five Gospel Truths. 19 years ago, my husband and I boarded an airplane headed for a family vacation. I was 27 weeks pregnant with our second child, and I buckled myself in, earnestly hoping that our four-year-old would let her exhausted mother relax for a couple of hours. I have no memory of how my daughter behaved on that flight, as everything was overshadowed by the onset of contractions shortly after takeoff. Given today's audience, perhaps a short pregnancy refresher course is in order. Babies are considered full-term if born at 40 weeks. As noted, I was 27 weeks pregnant. For any number of reasons, being in labor at that time and in that place was less than ideal. Now, while it would make for a dramatic story to have given birth 30,000 feet into the air to a premature infant, 
That, thankfully, is not what happened. We landed safely at our destination and rushed to the hospital, where I was given medication to stop my labor and put on bed rest for the next 10 weeks. For someone with a type A personality, 10 weeks of bed rest is a challenge, especially in the days before Netflix, Hulu, smartphones, and high-speed internet access. When the Relief Society called to offer help, I desperately pleaded for books. And so the women of the Westchester First Ward in the Chicago, Illinois stake did what they do best. They arrived on my doorstep bearing casseroles and books, food for my body and food for my soul. Amidst the stack of reading material were the first four books in the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. I put them at the bottom of the stack, reasoning that they were children's books. But a few weeks later, when I had finished all of the other Relief Society literary offerings, Harry Potter was all that remained. I reluctantly started to read about the boy wizard with a lightning scar on his forehead, and in short order, I was hooked. I loved the alliterative names of characters like Mad-Eye Moody and Nearly Headless Nick, the myriad magical creatures ranging from house elves to hippogriffs, and the tantalizing array of potion ingredients like boom-slang skin and lace-wing flies. I loved the humanity of all of the perfectly imperfect characters, their fears and insecurities, their disappointments and misunderstandings, their anger and jealousy, their pranks, their sarcasm, and even their plots for revenge. But most of all, I loved the universal themes of the books, the power of love and of sacrifice, the fight of good against evil, the quest to conquer death. By the time the seventh and last book in this series was published, I was a devotee. At that point, I was working at Harvard University. Every once in a while, I would scan the course catalog to see if anyone was teaching a class on Harry Potter, but to no avail. I eventually discovered not a class, but a book group of sorts that met weekly at the Harvard Divinity School. Although called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, the presumption of this group was not that the Harry Potter series is a sacred work, but rather that there was great wisdom to be gleaned by rigorously engaging with the text as with works held sacred by various faiths. I eagerly joined the group, and for the next year I approached the Harry Potter books through a different lens, not to be entertained, but to think deeply about what I could learn from these stories. Not surprisingly, my faith informed this new reading of these books that I had long enjoyed as I recalled the admonition in Doctrine and Covenants section 88, verse 118, Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. When I was invited to speak today, I wondered what gospel message I should share with you, the students of BYU, that might resonate with you and help in the struggles you are facing. My mind kept returning to five gospel principles that have been reinforced for me as I have read and reread the tales of Harry Potter over the years. Truth one. All are alike unto God. The central antagonist in the Harry Potter series is the evil Lord Voldemort, who conspires throughout to kill the boy Harry Potter, the only wizard known to have survived a killing curse, 
and Harry's case one directed at him by Voldemort when Harry was just a baby. In a world inhabited by wizards and witches and a whole host of magical creatures, Lord Voldemort views anyone and anything other than a pure-blood wizard as utterly dispensable and inferior. Harry, on the other hand, is a pure-blood wizard but grows up with no knowledge of this fact or indeed with any knowledge of the magical world. This turns out to be a great blessing because when Harry eventually learns he is a wizard, he is completely unaware of the prevailing prejudices of the witches and wizards around him. At the end of the second book, Harry encounters the shadow of a younger Voldemort known in this book by his birth name, Tom Riddle. Riddle has taken Harry's wand, leaving Harry without a weapon with which to defend himself against the deadly basilisk, a giant snake hiding in the Chamber of Secrets. While Harry awaits his fate, help arrives in the form of the Headmaster Dumbledore's pet bird, the Phoenix Fox, who is carrying the dirty and ragged sorting hat. Riddle looks at the motley crew of Harry, the Phoenix, and the hat, and taunts, This is what Dumbledore sends his defender? A songbird and an old hat? Do you feel brave, Harry Potter? Do you feel safe now? Riddle's downfall in that moment is that he fails to appreciate the value of the magical power embodied in anything other than a pure-blood wizard. Only moments later, the healing tears of the phoenix will mend the otherwise lethal wound to Harry's arm from the basilisk's fang, and Harry will use the sword of Godric Gryffindor hidden in the sorting hat to kill the basilisk. Contrast this with Harry's first encounter with the house elf Dobby, who mysteriously materialized in Harry's bedroom one summer's evening. (coughs) Having no preconceived notions about the relationship between wizards and house elves, Harry invites Dobby to sit down. The house elf is stunned by this magnanimous gesture, pronouncing, Dobby has never been asked to sit down by a wizard, like an equal. Several years later, the goblin Griphook tells Harry, You are an unusual wizard, Harry Potter. In what way? asked Harry. To which Griphook replies, You rescued a goblin. You brought me here, saved me. You are a very odd wizard. More than any other character in J.K. Rowling's series, Harry shows an understanding of the principle described in Doctrine and Covenants section 18, verse 10. Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God, a God who, in the words of Nephi, inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and all are alike unto God. That we are all children of heavenly parents who know and love us individually is a fundamental and beautiful gospel truth. God loves each one of you. And he asks, indeed he commands, that we show that same love for each other. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. At the start of this new school year, I encourage you to strive to show a greater measure of Christ-like love to all of those around you. Cast a broad net as you build a network of friends for social activities and form study groups for your classes. 
Be sensitive to the needs of those in our community who are dealing with very real struggles, even if you do not understand them. And follow the counsel of a BYU colleague who said in a women's conference address that the greatest form of charity may be to withhold judgment. Truth two, the Lord will help make our weak things become strong. One scripture that has become particularly meaningful to me in the last several months as I have moved from Boston to Utah to take on a new role here as the dean of the BYU Marriott School of Business is Ether chapter 12, verse 27. And if men and women come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. In my experience, there are three ways that God helps make weak things become strong unto us. The first is by magnifying our concentrated effort to become better. We can acquire new skills and abilities, new strengths. For the Harry Potter fans out there, this would be Harry desperately practicing summoning charms before the first task of the Triwizard Tournament in Book 4. As a result, he is able to successfully call forth his broomstick when he needs it to aid in his defeat of the dreaded Hungarian horntail dragon. I will spare you the details, but I have weaknesses that I have been working very hard on overcoming with purposeful intent over the last few months since I arrived at BYU. The second way that God helps make weak things become strong is by sending us people who have complementary strengths to offset our weaknesses. In the case of Harry Potter, this would be Ron and Hermione, helping Harry in his adventures in all of the books, although my favorite example is in Book 1, where getting to the Sorcerer's Stone very much requires the individual strengths of all three. Ron leads the trio to victory in the game of wizard chess. Hermione solves the logic puzzle concerning which potion to drink and Harry mounts a broomstick to capture the flying key that allows him to open the locked door and proceed. Individually, none of them could have succeeded, but collectively they are able to keep the Sorcerer's Stone from falling into the hands of Lord Voldemort. Paul in 1 Corinthians, Moroni in the last chapter of the Book of Mormon, and the Lord in the Doctrine and Covenants all describe the variety of spiritual gifts bestowed on us by our Maker. For all have not every gift given unto them, for there are many gifts, and to every man is given a gift by the Spirit of God. This dispersion of the Lord's spiritual gifts requires us to learn to work together to become the body of Christ referred to by Paul. One of the greatest blessings I have had since coming to BYU in January has been the opportunity to work as part of a team with members whose strengths offset my weaknesses. The third way that God helps make weak things become strong is by putting us in situations where our weaknesses are in fact our strengths because they are two sides of the same coin. Harry Potter, in what many would perceive as a moment of weakness, shows compassion for Peter Pettigrew, the man who betrayed his parents, leading to his escape in Book 3 and hastening the return of Voldemort in the flesh. But Harry Potter's compassion for others is also a strength 
that allows him to befriend Dobby the house elf, who proves instrumental in Harry's success in finding and destroying horcruxes in Book 7. For me, returning to BYU after 30 years at four very different universities is both an obvious source of weakness and a potential source of strength. A weakness because after such a long time away, I often feel out of place back in this peculiar institution with its sometimes strange customs. A strength because my perspective after having been gone for so long occasionally allows me to see things in ways that people around me can't. I hope that you, too, are invoking the help of the Lord in identifying and making your own weak things become strong through practice, through collaboration, and by examining how your weaknesses could, in appropriate situations, actually be your strengths. Truth three, we see through a glass darkly. One recurring theme in the seven-book series is that Harry and his compatriots rarely have a complete understanding of the situations in which they find themselves. Sometimes, in fact often, they are more wrong than right. In book one, they mistakenly believe that Professor Snape is trying to steal the Sorcerer's Stone when in reality it is Professor Quirrell who also happens to be sporting a vestige of Lord Voldemort hidden under his jaunty turban. In Book 3, they, along with the rest of the Wizarding World, are under the false impression that Sirius Black betrayed Harry's parents leading to their deaths, when in fact it was Peter Pettigrew. In Book 4, nobody recognizes that Mad-Eye Moody is an imposter. In Book 7, they learn that Dumbledore had a somewhat checkered past, and Snape turns out to be a hero rather than a villain. Just like the characters in Harry Potter, we too have an incomplete understanding of many things in life. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. For now we see through a glass darkly. God's plan is that we not have a full understanding of all things during this mortal life. This partial understanding impacts us in many ways. Sometimes, as with Harry and Severus Snape, we misjudge others based on an incomplete knowledge of their circumstances or motivations. Sometimes our faith falters when we find ourselves in a situation that we cannot make sense of believing that our ability to reason is sufficient for complete understanding when in fact we have but a very limited comprehension of things. When Joseph was sold into Egypt by his brothers, could he possibly have foreseen the future blessings that would come to him and his family many years later from what, at the time, must have seemed like a great injustice? Our job is to go forward in faith despite not having a full knowledge of all things. We read in Alma, and now as I said concerning faith, faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. The ultimate test of Harry Potter's faith comes in the seventh book when he must choose whether to continue searching for horcruxes or whether he should instead redirect his efforts into tracking down the Deathly Hallows. The rationale for acquiring the Hallows seems compelling. 
But after much deliberation, Harry decides to persist in his quest for the Horcruxes because that is the path that was prescribed by Headmaster Albus Dumbledore before his death. Harry does not even know what all of the Horcruxes are, let alone where they are. The task seems daunting, and Harry questions whether he can possibly succeed. And yet he persists. With the benefit of hindsight, we know that he made the right choice. But at the time of the decision, the choice was not at all obvious based on reason alone. Like Harry, we may find ourselves in circumstances in which our reason conflicts with the commandments of God, His prophets, or our own personal revelation. In these moments, we must choose whether to do what seems to make sense based on our partial understanding of things or whether we will have faith and follow the Lord's plan for us, believing that with His greater perspective, He will not lead us astray. Truth 4. The Lord will magnify your capabilities in doing His work. My favorite scene in the entire Harry Potter series happens at the end of the third book, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. At the admonition of Albus Dumbledore, Harry and his friend Hermione go back in time to change the course of history and to do what is noble and good by saving two innocent lives. But time travel is an endeavor fraught with danger, and they must be very careful not to let their time-traveling selves be seen by those in the past. And so they must wait and watch as the narrative of the past unfolds until they reach the exact point in time where intervention is needed. Time-traveling Harry finds himself on the edge of the lake watching earlier Harry under attack from the soul-sucking Dementors. Because he has already lived through this, Harry knows that at some point someone from across the lake will cast a charm that will drive away the Dementors. He waits and waits and waits and starts getting quite anxious as the Dementors get increasingly close to administering the Dementors' kiss and sucking out earlier Harry's soul, and he wonders where the Dementor-repelling Patronus is. And then, in a brilliant flash of insight, Harry realizes that it is he, time-traveling Harry, who must cast the charm from across the lake and save his earlier self. Despite having struggled for months with this particular spell, once armed with this vision of what he could accomplish, Harry confidently declares, Expecto Patronum! And a luminous silver-white stag erupts from his wand, dispelling the Dementors in a profusion of light. Later, when asked by Hermione how he managed to accomplish this tremendous feat, he said, I knew I could do it all this time because I'd already done it. The Lord has a great work for all of you to do in your homes, in your communities, in your jobs, in the church, and in the world. And right now, many of you, like Harry Potter, may be feeling inadequate for such a task. Maybe you got a B or a C or even a D on an exam or paper, and wonder how you could possibly be qualified for greatness. Maybe you didn't get a job offer after your summer internship. Maybe you haven't been on a date in months or even years. 
Maybe you feel like you are destined for mediocrity. In President and Sister Nelson's 2018 Worldwide Youth Devotional, Sister Wendy Nelson said, I believe if you could see yourself living with your heavenly parents and with Jesus Christ, if you could observe what you did premortally and see yourself making commitments, even covenants, with others, if you could see yourself courageously responding to attacks on truth and valiantly standing up for Jesus Christ, I believe that every one of you would have the increased power, increased commitment, and eternal perspective to help you overcome any and all of your confusion, doubts, struggles, and problems, all of them. If you, like Harry, are standing on the edge of your metaphorical lake waiting for someone else to make the first move, to grease the skids, to invite you to the party, wait no more. Heavenly Father hasn't given us a perfect vision of our past or our futures, but He has given us the ability, conditional on our worthiness, to receive personal revelation about what we can and should do in our lives. And when we are on the Lord's errand, He will magnify our capabilities to act in His service and to be the means of accomplishing great things. Truth 5. Jesus Christ is the author of our salvation. The central theme in the Harry Potter series is the quest to conquer death. The single focus of the primary antagonist, Lord Voldemort, is to become immortal. To this end, he seeks to preserve his soul by splitting it into seven parts or horcruxes. He conspires to steal the sorcerer's stone which contains the elixir of life. He wrests the elder wand or death stick from the grave of Albus Dumbledore. And he repeatedly tries to kill Harry Potter based on a prophecy which he interprets to mean that only one of Harry or Voldemort can live. Despite these efforts, he is unsuccessful and ultimately dies once and for all from a rebounded curse directed at Harry Potter during the Battle of Hogwarts. The cause of Voldemort's failure is simple. He is looking for life in all the wrong places. Where then should we look for life? In the quest to defeat Lord Voldemort, Harry and his friend Hermione visit the graveyard of the church cemetery in Godric's Hollow where Harry's parents are buried. On a snowy Christmas Eve, Harry reads the inscription on their graves, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. This scripture comes, quite significantly, from the Apostle Paul's lengthy and powerful sermon on the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians. The title of the first chapter of the first book in the seven-book Harry Potter series is The Boy Who Lived. Throughout the books, Harry, quite symbolically, repeatedly defies death to live again. His survival results first from the selfless sacrifice of his mother to save him, and eventually from his own willingness to sacrifice himself to defeat Voldemort and save the wizarding world. I testify to you that there is another, a greater one who lived, who walked the dusty roads of Galilee, atoned for our sins, was crucified and resurrected, and who lives again. 
This Jesus is not the central character of some great work of literary fiction. He is the central figure in the great plan of redemption. And in the words of King Benjamin, there shall be no other name given, nor any other way nor means whereby salvation can come unto the children of men, only in and through the name of Christ. His sacrifice, born of love, enables us to be forgiven of our sins and live again. I began this talk by appealing to the admonition to seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. While Harry Potter has for me been the source of many words of wisdom that have strengthened my faith, the Apostle John tells us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate word. Quoting from the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, For in the beginning was the Word, even the Son, who is made flesh and sent unto us by the will of the Father. And as many as believe on his name shall receive of his fullness, and of his fullness have all we received, even immortality and eternal life through his grace. I pray that you will earnestly strive to come unto Christ and drink of his living waters in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Learning Gospel Truths with thoughts from Earl C. Tingey and Bridget C. Madrian. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.